0: Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic with thought provoking, profession shaping conversations and commentary. Today's guest is Peter Muller, design resilience leader, Ginsler, who will be speaking on sustainable solutions for branded environments.
1: So, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Sustainability Learning Theater. My name is Tony Josipovic, and I'm the executive director of product management at JLL. And so JLL is pleased to sponsor the Sustainability Learning Theater. We take, responsi- uh, we take a responsible and sustainable approach in all that we do while working to shape the future of real estate for a better world. So it's my pleasure to introduce Peter Miller today, our speaker, and he's going to talk to us about sustainable solutions for branded environments. So there's a long list of his resume, which is why I've got the talking notes, my gosh. But uh, let me start. So as design resilience leader for Gensler's brand design practice area, Peter leads in sustainable brand design solutions, client advocacy, talent development, and environmentally responsible brand strategy. He's especially passionate about identifying opportunities to implement technology tools that empower design teams to reduce and eliminate embodied carbon emissions. So Peter is a project management professional, envisioned sustainability professional, and holds a Living Future accreditation from the International Living Futures Institute. He is a Living Future ambassador and sits as co-chair for SEGD Seattle. So without further ado, I'll just pass it over to you, Peter. Thanks Tony, appreciate it. Hello everyone,
0: Uh, thanks for being here today, really appreciate it. Uh, Great to have the opportunity to speak with you all about something that is uh, super near and dear to my heart. And um, uh, yeah, so thank you for being here today. Um, We're gonna talk about four things um, that are not groundbreaking Uh, strategies, um, but are strategies nonetheless that um, aren't necessarily happening um, when brand design is happening on a project. Um, So we can talk through them, but before I I jump into them, I really want to just kind of level set on um, what brand design is um, and what our team is doing, uh, uh, who who we are and what we do, Um, and so then we can jump into the four after that. I am here in Seattle and uh, work with a team of uh, about 10 people, um, and we work on projects uh, globally. We have a global portfolio of projects, mostly tech, workplace clients, um, and we design stuff like this, um, environmental graphic design. We take a client's brand and we roll it out spatially. It can look like this. As we navigate space with signage, and wayfinding, can look like this. And this. San Francisco International Airport. Right? We we tell stories, we create, we activate these spaces. Right? And we have a climate crisis that looks like this. Don't need to tell you all what this looks like, or that this is happening. Um, And there's this disconnect, I think, between um, what we're doing um, and this climate crisis. And um, that's why I'm here today, is to talk about that there is a connection. um, And there's not just a connection, but a great opportunity um, to be doing this more. It's really exciting because um, when this opportunity presents itself um, we have the ability to uh, move the needle on sustainable design in a pretty easy and quick way, um, in a way that um, has the ability to get our clients really excited about sustainability. Um, It's very palatable and um, I think will lead to, eventually would lead to more ambitious sustainability projects. So these four considerations that um, we are doing, and um, it's not like we have knocked them out the park. There's certainly still things that we're continuing to evolve and continuing to work on. Um, The first one is um, healthy material selection. So like I said, these aren't aren't things that are brand new, right? I mean, I know at this stage here, there's already been a bunch of conversations today about healthy material selection and embodied carbon. Um, Same stuff, it's just not necessarily happening um, in the brand design world, or at, at least not enough. A lot when it comes to core and shell, a lot when it comes to uh, interiors and, uh, and whatnot, but when it comes to brand design, not as much. So when we talk about healthy material selection, um, we're talking about human health, uh, specifically the chemicals in the products that we are specifying. Um, we're talking about um, PCBs, uh, PVC, uh, all these acronyms, right? Um, we're talking about heavy metals, we're talking about asbestos. Um, There is a list um, called the Red List um, that is uh, administered by the International Living Future Institute based here in Seattle um, that identifies 800 plus worst in class chemicals. These chemicals are known to cause uh, cognitive developmental issues. Uh, They're known to cause cancer, right? How many of us have been impacted by um, a family or a friend or personally with cancer, right? Um, this has a direct correlation to indoor air quality. So it's really important that we are taking a look at these materials, these wall coverings, right? These sign systems, what is this made out of? Um, Acrylics, uh, different types of materials, what are they made out of, what's in them, what's really in them? If we look at them at a high level, it might just seem like wood or plastic, right? But when we really dive deep, there's a lot of really bad stuff in there. And so we really wanna do our best to make sure that we're specifying the healthiest materials we can Um, to improve indoor air quality and reduce this, right? Um, There's transparency labels that can help us do this. Declare is a transparency label, also administered by ILFI. Um, That shows us exactly what's in a product. It also takes a look at upstream uh, 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 implications and where that product came from. Um, HPDs, health product declarations, do the same thing, but not quite as intense. Um, So these are things that we can take a look at to help us make smart choices in real time. Embodied carbon tracking. I know, I think maybe two talks before me, I heard someone talking about embodied carbon. Um, Embodied carbon, not to be confused with operational carbon. Um, I know we've all heard the story about carbon, but especially with brand design, um, our projects are for the most part static. They're not operational. Um, So the, 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 the strategy is really focused primarily on embodied carbon, so we want to take a look at the carbon emissions that are happening uh, in the materials we specify um, from when they're manufactured all the way up to installation and then end of life. Um, we developed a calculator. Um, it's a, it's a really simple calculator. Um, it essentially pulls in uh, global warming potential uh, data values for embodied carbon, which sounds kind of confusing, right? But at a really a layman level, it's, we're pulling in some values on a product, and we're multiplying it by the quantity uh, of that material. And so we go down in a list, and we can take a look at how much of that material is being used, um, what the embodied carbon is for it, and we add it all up. And um, we have the ability to do that. And um, what is so great about that is that it helps us um, not just make better. Uh, uh, better decisions with materials in real time uh, in regards to embodied carbon, but it also helps us, um, it gives us a value at the end of the day that we can then take to a client or take back to ourselves and say, how can we offset that, right? So um, it's really important to be taking a look at embodied carbon. Healthy material selection is all about human health. Embodied carbon is about environmental health. So we've got to take a look at both these things when we're specifying our materials. Just like architects would, just like interior designers would, it's really important that brand designers are doing this too. Integrated partnerships. Um, We know the conversation doesn't just stop um, when we issue our design documentation. There are um, partners like you out there um, that need to be aware of this and can hopefully take this to the finish line with us. Um, it's not just us, it's everyone, right? So um, what we've been doing is uh, we've we just refreshed our specification set, the, the front work that goes in front of our, um, our design intent documentation, which is similar to a, a CD set. And um, we've included a bunch of language uh, around sustainability minimums, um, prioritizing uh, uh, clients and products that um, are uh, disclosing HPDs and EPDs and declare uh, product labels. Um, that uh, we're, we're doing our, uh, you know, our best to um, uh, specify materials that are, don't include any uh, chemicals in the red list. Um, and that way, when we ship out our, our design set, um, the conversation keeps going and it keeps happening and we can put the pressure on our, on our clients, or it's not even necessarily pressure, it's just we can encourage our clients and our, our vendors, all these different partners um, to be taking this in a similar fashion to the finish line, right? Um, and it's, having, it's just having those conversations. I mean, that's, that's kind of what a partnership is, right? It's having those conversations with the client maybe and saying, um, you know, hey, not sure if you were aware, but we can really make an impact uh, with the brand design um, in a way that, that we might not have been doing in the past. Um, and it could tie directly to your sustainability goals. I mean, how many companies out there have a, a net zero uh, 2030 goal, right? Um, a specific number they're trying to hit—net zero or whatnot, net positive if you can. Um, I think it's really important uh, to understand that the brand design work um, can directly move the needle on that, um, if the project allows for it to do that. And it's really exciting that we have that that uh, that opportunity. It's it's much quicker. Uh, it's much less uh, to understand. Um, it's really easy to see it come together, and that's what's so exciting about it. You can really quickly uh, move the needle on something in a, in a way that's much more simple than perhaps uh, you know taking your entire building to, to net zero, right? Brand storytelling. Uh, this is kind of the, the tried and true. This is what we do. This is what brand designers do. Um, we uh, we take a client's uh, brand and we communicate it. And we communicate it in so many different ways. Uh, There's so many ways that we can do that um, uh, in an educational way, in an interpretive way, in a just straight up informative way, um, in an immersive environment, uh, interpretively, sort of abstract, right? There's all these different ways that we can communicate and tell these stories. And it's really important that the sustainability story doesn't get lost in that story. It's not just about, how awesome you are as a, as, a, as a brand or a company. It's what makes you awesome. And how can I connect with that as, um, as an employee or as a vendor of yours, right? So it's really important that we um, continue to tell these stories and not miss out on that great opportunity. Thank you. Any questions or comments?
1: impact that are,
0: have a lot certainly uh, the question is um, how like sometimes it's something looks yeah 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 the question is how yeah how easy is it um, or lack thereof to find uh, materials that that are healthy essentially and are good for good for the environment but still have high impact great value right um you got to dive a little deeper you have to challenge the status quo a little bit it's not just what um, you've always specified or what you understand to be the best material for this certain element Um, it's they're out there they're certainly out there Um, i think it's right sizing the material Um, i think uh, in the design world we're we're accustomed a lot of the time to over engineer something over design something Uh, especially with so many leases maybe only being five or ten years do you need to specify Uh, steal for something that's just gonna not be needed in in five years, right? So, um, and there's databases out there for sure that that help provide some of those. Yes. Yes. Uh, We are starting to, just starting to. Um, The question was, are we seeing our suppliers change their spec? because of what we're specifying. That's the goal, right? Is to change things at a market level. Um, we the, the policy work is would be is one way, right? You can want to you can kind of change it from a grassroots perspective and, and, and change the market that way. Or the, you know, the, the government agencies and policies can come down and, and change things and force it that way. Um, I think we're we're doing our best to encourage that. And that's kind of when I talk about the, the specification set. Um, that's a big part of it you make it essentially a project requirement um, and you can point back to that uh, during the bidding process or something and say hey look we we, this is a requirement and say oh okay Um, there are certain certifications like the living building challenge that um, uh, require certain products to not include any of the the red list materials or or be certain things and so a lot of that process if a project is pursuing that level of certification can require um, that sort of communication with a, a product manufacturer where you say, can you remove this from your product?
1: So this sounds proprietary. Like so to to I I'm sorry, can you say that again? So so master spec, you know, Yeah. worse spec mod spec
0: for the Has it become more of a what spec? Model. Uh that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. I mean we, I think, in a sense, we we tried to flip the traditional spec on its head a little bit, and use it as a tool uh, to um, kind of double down on on philosophy a little bit. You know, it's 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 not just it's uh, making it. A little, you don't want a spec set to be subjective, but in a sense, you you do, right? And you, and you want to encourage a certain way of working through things, um, because a big part of our spec set is not just the, the, the things we're specifying, but how they come to be, and how they are created. So we're doing our best to, to change that. Yeah? How are you with, um, bringing all these investments to the executives? How are you selling sustainable investments to executives? Yeah, how are we selling this to executives, bringing wow. it to the, yep, yeah, bringing it to the C-suite. Um, Conversations. Uh, we're bringing it to them. Uh, we're showing them that this is um, what's needed. I mean, I think uh, I think our, our, our clients are, are showing it and creating that opportunity. If you take a look at, I mean, I kind of mentioned it earlier, how many companies out there have these goals, um, these sustainability, really ambitious sustainability goals. Uh, if you take a look at, Gensler, if you take a look at the top, you know, 10, 20 of our client lists, right? Um, you might I think at one point I pulled that data and eight out of 10 of those clients had net zero, uh, 20, 30 goals. So it's like, hey, this is what our clients are demanding. This is what we need to be doing. Um, if we're not doing it, we're gonna get left in the dust. And I think that gets leadership's attention pretty quick, right? Yeah.
1: Oh. Um,
0: what? Yep. Yep. Uh the question is uh, are there certain materials um that are ahead of the curve that are already kind of doing this, yeah? Um um the ones that are already sustainable. I mean, I mean, you know, materials like uh cardboard and wood, you know, spec- specifying FSC wood, for example. Um I think, I guess the the quick answer is no. I haven't seen a certain material that is really leading the charge. I think there are certain um, there are certain manufacturers uh, or, or product categories that are that are um, doing that, um, but uh, specific materials, no, not necessarily. Yes. Uh, the question is, have we seen a lot of companies uh, incorporating this into their workplace guidelines? Um, uh, yes, and we'd like to see a lot more, certainly. I think that's the, that's the goal, right? It's, it's guidelines is when a lot of this, that's the opportunity to really make a change, At a especially when you're talking about a global portfolio. Um, I mean, a lot of the time I hear, it may be why there is this opportunity, it might exist, is because people look at this and they say, oh, it's just a couple wall coverings, it's just signage here and there. Um, but when you scale that up, Um, I mean, you look at some of the, you know, local uh, tech uh, companies here in in Seattle and their global portfolio, hundreds of millions of square foot, right? You scale up, maybe there's 150, 200 signs per 20,000 square feet of workplace, but scale that up to their global portfolio, all of a sudden you can make a really big impact and it's huge. And I think um, when you look at the impact um, in relationship to the impact that maybe um, an entire building might have. It might seem like that's not worth it, but then when you look at it in a, on a, at a percentage basis, and you can still say you can still share, um, hey, we reduced the embodied carbon of our signage program by 86 percent. That's huge. That's awesome. You know, um, or we removed all. There's no red list chemicals in any of our uh, brand, and you know, it's, it's huge, especially when your brand is supposed to. Uh, really talk about who you are as a company. It's, it's almost the most important that it is happening in your brand, if not anywhere else. Thank you, everyone. Really appreciate it. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org content to submit your idea.